Hello, I'm Jamie Bricker. And I'm Carol Bricker. And you're listening to Bricker. By Bricker, a podcast to support parents with building productive partnerships between home and school. Well, you know, Carol, like, I mean, understandably, uh, the whole startup of this school year has caused an awful lot of stress and uncertainty. I think really for all stakeholders, certainly students, teachers, all other adults in the building, and parents, of course. Now, this most unusual return to school is now really starting to take shape as we're getting into latter September. And, uh, you know, I, I know you'd agree, Carol, but I think this is a great time for us to really get a parent's perspective as to how things are going thus far. Oh, certainly. We've talked a lot about a variety of different issues, whether it be the schooling at home and suggestions for parents as to what they can be doing for that authentic learning, you know, prepping parents for going back to school. So certainly looking at this from the parent's perspective will certainly get better framework as to how things are are moving along. So today we have a special guest, Heather Murray, joining us. And Heather certainly has a very unique perspective in that she has children both in elementary school, but also a child who is attending high school. And also to look at that, her, her younger children are attending in person, whereas her older, her daughter is attending virtually. So really can give some great insights into both of those experiences. A very wide lens. Mm-hmm. But I, I do want to to um, just qualify things. Qualif- yes, qualify things in the sense that Heather does reside in an area that has had a fairly low case count of the coronavirus. And certainly that would impact some of the decisions that she makes going forward. Well, so, I, think you're, I think before we begin, you're right. Heather's general message is very pertinent and very, you know, very important for all. But you're right, like all of us, there are certain kind of specific, you know, things or whatever that really apply to certain areas more than others. Mm -hmm. So we'd like to welcome you, Heather, uh, today, and we're really glad you were able to join us. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So just uh, to start off our our conversation today, we're going to go back to the spring when, you know, the pandemic was, you know, initially brought forward in, in Ontario and all of a sudden schools were shutting down. And so looking back at your experience from that homeschooling, or sorry, schooling from home, I should say, in the spring, what were the things that you found went well at that time? And what were the things that you really found challenging? Great question. Um, I don't know if I can remember back that far. It seems like just yesterday, but then it seems so long ago at the same time. Um, I think, I think one of the, the best things that I found at that time is that we already had an established communication tool between the parents and the school. So there was already an application that we were using and the school quickly adapted that into the new learning model. So originally it was a tool that was used just to send home, you know, notes how the day was. Occasionally I would get pictures of the kids from the day. We're familiar with um, the Remind app. Is that what you were using? It's called Seesaw. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And I know every school and every school board uses different um, applications. So, um, but that's, that's the one that we used here. And um, so they quickly during that, of course, we shut down right before March break. So during the March break and that first week after, they quickly flipped that and adapted it that that's where teachers would send daily learning activities, um, especially for, for my younger child. 
um, he was in junior kindergarten in the spring. And for them, it's a lot more, you know, just trying to find activities that they can do throughout the day. Um, as we progressed through the, the months um, in the spring, the, my um, middle daughter, she got started getting some classroom, um, like Google Classroom type scenarios where they actually interacted with the teacher, which was, which was great. But just their, the school's ability to, to flip the technology that already existed and that communication tool that already existed, I think they did incredibly well with that. Fairly or unfairly, the stereotype was out there that in a lot of cases, the students were just getting a steady diet of basically robotic, low-level review work for three months, limited access to the teacher, and very little kind of new learning opportunities. Is that, is that valid in your experience? It's, uh, that's a tricky one to answer. Um, so for... My youngest, um, we actually had kind of an opposite issue. Um, junior kindergarten, it's mostly play. And I yes. felt like the amount of work and assignment that was being sent home was very over the top. Um, and again, that was my personal experience. Everyone right, in terms of sure had something different. Like in terms of Sorry? quantity was over the top. Or you mean quantity, exactly. Yeah. Okay. yeah, quantity was just over the top. And um, obviously, at that age, their reliance on the parents um, is a lot more. They, they need that side-by-side that -side support. Um, so I found that very overwhelming. Um, and I know it's not the intention of this conversation, but I felt like maybe a little more focus could have been on the fact that parents were also trying to adjust not only to a learning-from-home environment, but a working-from-home environment. And I know that's not everybody, oh, but for me, I switched right away to also working from home. So I was trying to maintain 40 hours of work a week while trying to help the kids maintain 25, 30 hours a week of school. Um, so that's one thing that I felt could have been maybe improved upon. Right. Um, the older ones, though, certainly they were more self-sufficient um, and able to interact. And I felt like from what I've heard from other parents, because there have been a lot of conversations from other parents, I have heard that message that you're saying, Jamie, about it being a lot of rinse and repeat, read this book, write a, write a book report, read this book, write a book report, and just the same thing over and over. Mm -hmm. um, for us, we were very fortunate. That wasn't our, our situation. We definitely felt like it was, the teacher was still there, not physically. But I was going to say, so your, old, your older daughters then could access the teacher if need be. Absolutely. Yep. Between email and through their um, established communication channels. Again, for the, the younger two, it was Seesaw, and then the older ones, they established Google. Um, and they all get school email addresses too. So they had that to, to work with. Well, Heather, it seems like you're quite pleased with the communication uh, kind of network that's been established between homes and schools. And that's great. And uh, kudos to your school and to your, uh, your board, because that certainly varies a lot. Now, in terms of more recently, say last year ends, end of June, we're now into the summer. And of course, all the planning and all the information and misinformation, et cetera, about this new school year is kind of percolating. How effectively was that information conveyed to you about what September was potentially going to look like? And now that we're well into September, like what, um, and that will actually, we're, you know, we're well into October. Uh, and like, how informed did you feel, you know, as things were kind of have been progressing? I felt like I was in, as informed as the school, the board, the health unit could, I was given as much information that the board, the school, and the, the health units could provide. Um, I struggled, like most parents and educators and everyone else, I'm sure, with 
there just was no information. It wasn't that it wasn't being communicated. It was that everything was still being decided. Yes. Understandably, right? There's so much unknown. There's so much uncertainty with all of this that a decision that makes sense today may not make sense tomorrow. So you can't do the true pre-planning. Very oh, fluid. Very fluid. And, no and I mean, it, it's had to be in some boards, <clears throat> continued to be very fluid, even currently. And you Absolutely. Know, that, that you're having to kind of roll with what's being presented and, and what's happening in, in the community. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, I was happy with the communication. It caused me a lot of stress and angst that there wasn't information to convey. However, right. I understood that the reason for there not being that information was just the uncertainty and the, and the not knowing at that point of, of what it meant and what would happen. So it wasn't a question of, quote, you know, blaming any information source or whatever. It was just kind of understanding this is the way it is. And how, exactly. much, how much before the beginning of September were you informed around decisions that your board has made and then you being able to make those decisions with regard to your, your kids? So I would say it was about probably two and a half to three weeks before the school year started, I think was when the provincial government set out their standards and what yes. was what they considered acceptable. And it was within two to three days, we had an email from the school board um, and that gave us a link to a survey where we would fill out um, what our preference was for our children. So we, in our school board, again, like you mentioned, we had very low, we have very low case counts um, where I'm located. And our school board gave the option um, for the kids to either do um, online virtual learning or um, attend in person. Um, so those are the only two options presented. Um, you completed the survey and it went right back to the board and I don't know what they did with it, but by day one of school, they knew who was going to be in class and who wasn't. And actually, it was even a week before for the younger ones, the schools reached out. They made sure they had everything they needed for the kids that were returning um, in person. Oh, very so, good. Very I, yeah, good. Very quick. Very quick. So would you say you were contacted by your school or by your children's teachers? Actually, it was all three. It was a very um, staggered approach. The first was from the board, the, the email I was mentioning with the survey. Secondarily, the Office of Administration contacted um, all the parents, and that was to ensure that contact information was up to date, any medical information was up to date, and just do that initial review. Obviously, with the current environment, that has a lot more impact in the classroom today, right? A, a child who has, yes. like, for example, my one daughter has um, seasonal allergies. I got a call from the school today because she's got a runny nose. Is that normal? Yes. So you want to make sure that the schools have updated medical information as irrelevant as it might have been last year. It yes. has a different relevance this year. Very true. Yes. And then within the week before school started, I got a call from each of the children, the individual teachers, um, to introduce themselves, let them Great. let us know who their teacher would be so that this first day of school is more controlled. Yes. Instead of kids just wandering aimlessly in the yard looking for their teacher, it was a very controlled entry. Oh, no, that's, that's well, really I, uh, good. Full, I think full, it, yeah. full credit. Full I'm credit. sure it gave great. you peace of mind, too, knowing that these things have been put in place and, and people Absolutely. had reached out to you. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's then, just that little bit of... I was just going to say, so, you know, all these great things were in place and you've done this survey, but... But what were some of the criteria that you used to make your decision about whether the kids would return to school in person or 
returned virtu virtually? You know, did you have different criteria for you know the different kids based on their age or individual individual needs? And did did your children have the opportunity for any input? Absolutely. Um, a lot of criteria went into our decision making. Um, it wasn't something that uh, that we came to easily. Um, it certainly was a family discussion. Um, we talked about it um, as a collective group, um, but did evaluate each situation individually. Um, for my younger two who are in elementary school, I, the biggest factor for me was that the virtual learning was going to be a virtual school. So right. for our board, it, elementary kids, um, if they're attending in person, they're in a classroom with their educator uh, and their peers, if they're attending virtually, they're actually assigned to a virtual school. So it's yes. not really tied to their class. And then we have the opportunity in November to change our decision. So flip either way. Right. My concern was if in November, I've, I, I, like if I had started out virtually in September and then come November, I had changed my, my decision making and my thought process and I wanted to reintegrate them into the classroom. I was concerned that that disconnect would cause them some some issues with the reintegration into the classroom or they may, may experience some some disconnect between transferring between the two schools yeah. for lack of a better term um, so that was a big decision making part um, for me for my younger two um, another piece was um, with my youngest he's in senior kindergarten this year and the social interaction is so important at that age. Um, yes. And his siblings are all older, um, so it's it's not the same here. Um, it's not the same at home, and you don't want them out playing with all their friends because same thing, right? It's, it's, there's that possible exposure. So that was kind of another big piece. And selfishly, <laughs> um, my work was another a big piece of that. Um, my husband has maintained um, having to go into the office every day, so I've been trying to man two fronts, like I was saying earlier, yes. the work and um, the, the home education. And it's just become quite a struggle. Um, and so for our family's sanity, um, I felt like it was definitely a better approach and it has allowed me some time to focus um, well, on. You know, when you look at, at your youngest child in kindergarten and it being such a hands-on, play-based, you know, experiential type of program, that really trying to replicate that virtually, I think is very challenging. And uh, so, you know, having those opportunities to be in the class with their peers, learning from each other and, and you know, the co-regulation and, and everything that comes with that kindergarten program, you know, really right. makes that decision, although difficult because you want your children always to be safe, but certainly yeah. is a big part of that decision. Absolutely. And, and then, then um, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and then with your, your daughter in high school, how did that kind of evolve? Yeah, so I'm just going to go back um, oh, one sure. step. So then with, with my middle daughter, um, the decision for her, um, same idea, same criteria with the virtual learning at elementary um, certainly caused me some concerns with that, that reintegration potentially in November. Um, but with her, she attends the same school um, as the younger one. So I figure if there's a risk for exposure, either he's going to, if it happens at the school, he's either going to bring it home to us anyway, yeah. or, uh, you know, that just the risks there are less. Um, so it was kind of an easier, um, her, she just kind of was shoved along with him for lack of a better term. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then, uh, like you said, with, with my daughter in high school, very different um, approach with the decision for her. Um, so a couple of things that went into that decision. Um, number one, she's much more independent, obviously, than the younger children. She excelled so well in the spring with the online learning um, that I felt like she should definitely at least be given uh, an opportunity to, to, you know, really weigh in and, and help make that decision. She is going into grade 12, so she's going to start kind of venturing out on her own now. So it's time for her to be a little more involved. So those were um, kind of a couple of the items. But with, um, with the high school here, the virtual learning is actually you're just plugged into your classroom. So she's on her regular timetable. Um, she has her teacher has a camera set up in the room. She joins the Google Meet. She is in the classroom with her friends, for lack of a better, better term. So if she decides in November that, that you know, she does want to go back, um, it'll be an easier transition. Um, the other part with her is she does have some health um, concerns. Um, and with the uncertainty and the unknowing of all of the potential impacts of COVID-19 um, to people and children um, with underlying health conditions, that certainly helped um, us inform our decision to let her do virtual learning and, and kind of made us feel a little more comfortable taking that approach. Now, Heather, you've really outlined very, uh, very thoroughly for us. And thank you for your, uh, I mean, your, your kids are different ages, different spots in the educational uh, continuum and some other kind of factors in play. But then, and, and we, we both know that you're a very uh, involved parent. Um, so with your kids, say, over the summer or whatever, like, what did you work on with your different age kids to really kind of smooth their transition? Because, um, you know, regardless of how great any, any plans are from either the family or the school or the board or the province or whatever, we're all in the new terrain. And there's going to be a lot of detours and roadblocks along the way. So how did you kind of work with your kids to smooth that transition? And maybe I was going to say ease some of their anxieties, but also ease some of mom's concerns. Mm -hmm. Oh, great question. Um, I don't think there's a way to ease mom's anxieties. <laughs> I think that's just the thing we have. I'm sure Carol can agree with me there. It's just part of uh, you give birth and anxiety fills you back up. <laughs> well, dads can get plenty anxious too. We just can't give birth. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, really, for me, communication, communication, communication. Um, from day one of this, uh, my biggest thing was age-appropriate communication. Yes. Sorry, I should should include that part. They are my kids. Every one of them, from my four-year-old up to um, you know the high school age and, and beyond, everyone in this house fully understands to their age limit what is happening in the world. Um, obviously, at, at four years old, understanding that he knows there's a virus, he knows it makes people very sick, and that if you're not careful, you can catch it. He knows you have to wash your hands, sanitize your hands, um, you know, stay away from people, wear your mask, cover your, cover your cough, you know, all the, all the standard stuff that the, the health units are pushing out. Um, but right from the beginning, um, we explained to him the importance of that. Obviously, as the kids are older, it's easier to explain it to them. Whether they can understand and accept it is where the shift for me came. So my older kids, yeah, they get it. It's bad. It sucks but why can't I see my friends? Yes. Why can't I go out and do that? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, uh, it's not happening here. And it's not that they don't believe that it's serious or anything like that. They just, they, they want to see their friends. They're at that age where they want to be out and interacting. Um, so that's been, been a bit of a challenge, but we've, we've worked very hard to create our, our bubbles and said, you know, this is, these are the people you can see and then how we're kind of enforcing that with them. And, and again, communication. And if they have a question, they know they can ask. 
Um, and then to, to your kind of the second part of that question, how do you prepare them for the, the reentry into the school? And again, it's that communication, understanding why I have to do the things people are telling me to do, but then getting them comfortable doing it. Like we have never washed our hands inside the house as much as we did this summer. You know, we didn't go anywhere, but we're going to wash our hands just because we want to get in that habit. We yeah. want, you know, we wear our masks, you know, it, it's, you're not necessarily going anywhere, but at four years old, trying to tell somebody that they need to start wearing something on their face all day, every day is going to be difficult. <laughs> it's a difficult adjustment. Um, but I was going to say, you know, as you, you're saying, all of all of a sudden expecting him to go to school and have this on all day long when he's maybe never worn it, you know, that's part of that transition is practicing wearing it, practicing putting it on and taking it off. And, you know, where where do you put it when you take it off? And and all of those things are so important, particularly for our younger our younger children. And then with your older ones, I think a great number of people are feeling that fatigue with this pandemic and all the things that, you know, we're, we're having to do. And it is, just, you know, as you say, that communication that, you know, yes, we might be tired with all of this, but until that vaccine is available, we're going to have to practice all of these things. Well, I also think, Heather, you said it so well, and I've just been kind of spinning it around the last uh, minute or so, because you just nailed it when you talked about understanding versus acceptance. And I love that difference. That is profound. Where understanding, of course, is driven by logic. And your older girls are plenty bright. I know that for a fact. And they get it. But under but acceptance, of course, is now getting into the emotional, into yes. the kind of the affective domain. Mm -hmm. And as you say, as much as I get it, I don't like the fact it's impacting my life yeah. and my social network. Yep. And true, exactly. I mean, that would apply to you know yeah, everyone true. across the yes. province. But as any really age, well said, yep. <laughs> so thank you. Really well said. So now we've been into the school school year for you know three to four weeks, and uh, so how has that return? to school been for you, for your children? Like, are you feeling satisfied with the safety measures that have been put in place? Like, how is everybody in your house feeling? Great. Um, it's been, every day I feel like it validates further our decisions. Um, I, I think that, Wonderful. I mean, again, we spent a lot of time making those decisions, yes. but I, I think that every day we, we feel like it's just validating more that we made the right decisions. Um, you know, the little guy comes home from school and he's so happy. I played with this friend today. He was on that side of the table and I was on this side of the table, but we got to play Batman. Um, you know, just, just things like that. And, you know, hearing them come home and, and talk about how they got to talk to their friends. And it, it's just been, it's been great. It really has. And thankfully, again, like you said earlier, we have not seen a major spike in cases in our area which I think helps me feel better with my decision. I think if we had seen a different um, response from case numbers in this area, I might not have felt so good about my decision. And it could still come. I mean, things change every day. Um, but I think that has really helped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And your kids are comfortable with all the school routines and you know, safety-wise and so on? They are, yep. And it's been clearly communicated and they get their reminders. And it's, yeah, no, it's been, it's been very good. All right. That's, well, that's great to hear. Let's face it. Safety is, is number one. Now, in that mm -hmm. regard, Heather, it's kind of an extension of the whole uh, safety issue. 
really try to look at it from the lens of it, it's it's inevitable and hopefully not in your kids schools but look, looking from the you know the macro lens across the province it's inevitable and there already have been of course some positive cases of adults or kids in in, in different schools so in that eventuality uh, and it sounds like your school has had wonderful communication with you but is it clear to you as a parent like as of this moment what your school's response would be with a positive case uh say in one of your kids class what's the class response um you know at, at what level obviously the the uh positive like positively identified child would not be in school the next day type thing but at what point is it going to have repercussions on a class further attending school and in the extreme case when would the school be forced to close like has that been kind of shared with you yes and no <laughs> um so that information um for us was released through the um, the local health unit. Um, so they did put together the plan that will encompass all of our local school boards um, and, and be in place. Um, and they'll be working closely with the schools to track and, and release the information. The parameters for each of those is very unclear. And, and again, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's not a lack of wanting to share information. It's just not really knowing what the best response is like if one child is positive but they haven't been at school for three days because they haven't been feeling well and parents were following the guidelines of keeping them home if they're not feeling well does that require a, a shutdown or outbreak to be declared like there's just so much that they're still kind of feel like they're still working through um, but i think that i feel at least that they are trying to communicate what they they can um, as as we go um, of course, there are the provincial websites that are tracking um, school cases. Our local health unit is also tracking directly in in our um, our area. So we'll see some responses come out there before I think before they would hit the provincial level. Um, so I feel like they are trying to establish the appropriate communication. So is the onus on you as a parent to go to the public health website to get this information or was it emailed to you or you know how has that worked so it is uh, it is all up to the parent to go to the website however um the information has been shared through um multiple local media outlets so um our local newspaper has carried the information um our you know our radio stations have, have broadcast where you can get the information the school even sent out a link to the health unit um, page that was sharing the information. So they've done, done what they can, um, but again, because they're not the owners of the information or developing the plans and strategies, I think their hands are a little bit tied when it comes mm -hmm. to that, aside yeah. from passing along information. And, and I think that is an important piece for parents to remember is that the school isn't, or the board isn't necessarily driving these decisions, it's the public health. and. Yeah they're basing their decisions on the information that they have at this particular time which as you say it's fluid and is is changing absolutely so i could see it's kind of like a i was going to say several or both sides of the coin but my coin would have four or five sides i guess because um i think yes i understand people's frustration there aren't maybe clear provincial guidelines in that regard i can also understand the argument that yes each kind of region is different and there are you know there are different realities uh, and i can also appreciate the fact it is very fluid but i certainly can empathize with parents uh who might be frustrated by the fact that 
most things in our society, we have kind of a cause and effect and it's purely well laid out yeah. and it's pretty murky what the response would be at this point. Uh, yeah. And you seem to be looking at it through a very, you know, kind of rational, uh, rational lens and so on. And I give you full credit, Heather, but I can see a lot of parents getting kind of anxious over that. And you know what, if we would have had this conversation four months ago, I think my outlook would have been very different. I think that my response to those questions would have been very different. And what I have found helpful, and I'm not saying it would help everyone, but for me, it's been important for me to take a step back and understand who is responsible for defining these processes for each situation that I'm, I'm looking to gain information for, so that when it comes time that I have a question or I feel unclear, I know where to go. So I feel like, at least in, in my social circles um, of people I've spoken with, people feel like they're in the dark and they don't know. And I say, well, where have you looked? Where have you gone to try to get the information? And oh, well, Facebook didn't have anything today. Well, well I'm sorry that social media isn't, isn't always shoving true facts you know, in, in your face. But if you're looking for information about how your school is managing in-class study, go to your school board website. If you have questions about things like the, the, you know, outbreaks in schools and things like that, understand that that's being driven by the health unit and try their website. Reach out to them. You know, find where you should be getting your information from um, and, and, and go there. And if you don't, can't find the information, I mean, I, I know we all feel like sometimes we're throwing questions out into the dark abyss, but all of those areas have contact us information. You know, so don't in be a afraid to ask. So in a nutshell, some parents who are most concerned and most anxious would alleviate a lot of their anxiety if they were more proactive. I, I don't proactive know. and looking in the right places. Yeah. In the right spot. Yeah, Fair I enough. Say, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say like they're not being proactive. I mean, they're trying. They have these yeah. questions. They're they're just yeah. unsure. And I think you know we've talked about it in numerous podcasts. The whole social media piece and yes. You know, you have to look at what's out there on social media through that critical lens and you know, not take it as the fact and gospel as to what's actually happening. In the same line, even the media, whether it's newspaper, radio, yep. you know, uh, television news, really having to look at whose voice are they, they speaking from. Yep. And if, you, you hear something from that, as you say, go to the credible source to get your factual information if you have questions. I think, I think that's- I couldn't agree more, yep. Really great advice. So many thanks to Heather for leaving with us some really great advice when it comes to gathering information. And over the last half hour, we've gathered so much great information from Heather that unfortunately, we're now running a little short on time. But the great news is we will have Heather back on with us in two weeks also on Voice Ed Radio. So please join us then to hear more about Return to School 2020 from a parent's perspective. And thanks to everyone for joining us. And if you have any questions, please feel free to email us at brickerbybricker at gmail.com or contact us through our website at brickerbybricker.com. And we encourage our listeners to share our podcast with other family members and other families and friends anyone you think might be interested and a, and a reminder to follow us on Voice Ed Radio or in any other platforms, be it iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. And we look forward to connecting with you next time on Bricker. Bye, Bricker. Bye, Bricker.